So, assalamu alaikum. Um, today I have a new guest. Um, his name is Ahmed Chuderi. I hope I will pronounce it right. And um, do you want to introduce yourself before you start, before I jump into the topic and the questions? Yeah, sure. Um, salam to everybody who is listening. Um, thank you for having me. My name is Ahmed Jodri. You're, you're pretty close on the, on the pronunciation. Um, I'm from the Philadelphia area. I run an organization known as Muslim City Fest. Um, and I've been running that for about the last five to six years now. Um, that's kind of most of the community service work and stuff that I do here. Um, centering around Muslim youth. Okay, great. Um, our topic today is different identities in society. Uh, why I chose this topic is because uh, you are managing what you said in event events and organization. And I did this before several years uh, when I was still a student. I'm still a student, but like in the first years of these stuff. And it was um, very exhausting for me. I was not leading something but it was exhausting. So um, I will ask you the first question. What are the aspects of an identity? Yeah, so I think this is definitely something that is a very big question mark and a very um, popular topic, especially in the world nowadays, um, on the political sphere, on the personal sphere, um, in the workspace, in the schoolings, all different sorts of different places. Everything is all about identity. And I guess some aspects of identity are, you know, for example, the race that you belong to, um, the gender that you might identify as, the culture that you might come from traditionally, where your, you know, actual ethnicity and lineage is actually from. Um, what your religion is, is also part of your identity, whether you believe in something. Um, in other aspects, perhaps even uh, what your social class or what your social status is or um, what your profession is, for example. These are all potentially different aspects um, of the identity of a person. Um, and I think the modern world in particular really tries to focus on, I, I personally, just from my own uh, area of work that I do with Muslim youth in particular, um, what I've seen is that it, looks, it seems like the modern world really spends a great deal of time focusing on all these other aspects of the identity, but chooses to ignore the religious identity as much as it can, or anything related to spirituality, or anything related to non-material uh, identities. Um, that being said, um, I, I do think that in the world that we are living in today, um, it is important to understand that religious identity is perhaps different than other identities in the sense of what, what your culture might be like, what your background might be like, what your race might be like, what your gender might be like, in the sense that it is potentially, if you believe in something or don't believe in something, it is a portion, a, a portion of your identity that is basically telling you and conducting your life for you um, in a way, meaning that it is actually almost like a rubric to be living your life by um, versus other parts of identities are just perhaps a category that you might fit into um, or a group that you might belong into. Um, but so, I guess if I could summarize all that, that's how I would summarize uh, kind of the aspects of an identity. 
Yeah. Um, other is there like an abstract number of the types of identity we have, or is it too general to define what are the aspects of an identity? So that's where I think it depends on which way you're looking at it. I'm sure psychologically, um, I'm sure they all have their own rubrics of actual numbers of different identities. Um, I don't focus on that as much. Um, just I, I am in the medical field as like I just finished school as a student. Um, I have not really started my expertise in that. But with the Muslim youth and kind of like the community service aspect of what I work on, I, I try to take kind of a more holistic approach to things. So my idea, I guess, of the different identities of somebody is perhaps kind of more encompassing, I think, of different aspects of what might be considered part of the identity as opposed to you know, like a specific way of viewing things where there might be a specific number of uh, designated categories of identity. Um, and I do that all because I feel like one that is kind of one of the main issues in the world today is that we kind of separate a lot of different things. Um, and I, I just like a quick example, um, you know, nowadays we have like just if you look at professionally, right, we have a different profession for um, a scientist. We have a different profession for a writer. We have a different profession for a mathematician. We have a different profession for an astronomer. But if you look mm -hmm. in the past and you look at most people from previous times, uh, you know, kind of some of these people were all of these jack of all jack of all trades, right? They kind of embodied everything. Yeah. A lot of these great people of the past were expert calligraphers, expert astronomers, expert doctors, expert writers, all in one package. Um, and I think in that sense, I think kind of not taking the holistic approach is kind of what has stratified society and a lot of people into the way that it has now, where, yes, there might be financial benefits and social benefits in that sense. But on a spiritual level and on a person's individual level, um, leaving out certain aspects, I think, is not always a positive thing. Um, and so personally, I, I try to kind of, you know, add all of that together as a holistic uh, sort of viewpoint um, of the entire person. So I wouldn't, I, just to answer your question, I wouldn't personally put a number of, like a, a specific number on the categories of an identity, but I would say that there are definitely many different aspects that would, you know, include what your identity is. Um, so, when you approach, we um, can start with the next question. Question two is, um, how do you approach any person you meet in an event or in an organization? Um, you don't know what type of person that is, what identity that person have has, and um, who that person is in general, the background. Like, how do you approach a stranger? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, um, so there's a couple different ways of, of, I guess, talking about this. So one, I think it depends on the setting of what, where you're kind of meeting the stranger, right? So if you're asking me specifically about like when I'm organizing one of my events or where I'm organizing one of the festivals that I run and I encounter new people at that festival for the first time or someone I've never met So I think this is the cones. I think these are the cones. If you Sorry? interview someone 
within the car, in the car, <laughs> through this connection. Do you hear me? Sorry, can you hear me now? Yes, I yes, hear you. I do hear you. Okay, so you were just disconnected. Okay, am I good? Yes. Keep going. Okay, you can hear me now though? Yeah. Yes. So I, I think it would be slightly different if I'm meeting somebody at one of the events that I'm organizing versus, you know, running into somebody new at a store or just, you know, when I'm out in my regular daily life. Mm. Um, that being said, um, I think understanding the context of where you're meeting somebody or the setting of what you're meeting someone in, I think plays a big role in terms of how you would sort of approach that person. Um, okay. Me and the medical me in the medical profession, for example, like if I'm meeting a new patient for the first time, you know, I'm going to interact with that person, I would say in a much different way than if I'm meeting, um, you know, like some family members, mutual friend at a family dinner, for example, mm. that I've never met before. Um, and I think a lot of that is all linked towards your, your own conscience and your own way of perceiving things. And if you're looking at the person in front of you, again, kind of going back to the different aspects of identity, mm. if you're looking at them from a holistic sort of perspective and you see what their background kind of is like in front of you, meaning let's start with a place of commonality, for example. You know, let's say I run into you at the store. I can start by realizing that you're also a customer at the store that I'm also a customer at. So you must be looking for something to buy here and I must be looking for something to buy here, right? So in one aspect, I can keep that in mind that, you know, this is a commonality between us. This is a similarity that we have. And I think in terms of starting dialogue, in terms of starting conversation, in terms of actually reaching your hand out, it always starts by trying to find a common ground or a place of some sort of similarity that you can begin on. Because mm -hmm. when you usually start on two opposite perspectives, especially in today's world where I think this sort of, you know, cancel culture is so rampant in the sense that if you don't agree with my opinions, I just don't want to hear your opinions at all anymore, right? And I can just, in a way, cancel you out of my own sphere. Mm -hmm. um, and I think when you start on opposite spheres like that, it's oftentimes hard to find common ground and hard to find ways of actually connecting with people as opposed to distancing yourself from most people. Versus if you try to start by finding something to relate on, some, finding something that you guys can speak about um, that is really binding you together. Like, for example, the store uh, example that I gave you, or even as a, you know, in the medical field, as speaking to a patient, you know, maybe I can start by talking about what's actually physically bothering them, what is happening in their health to give them a way of basically being yeah. comfortable with opening up about, you know, the issue at hand. And so I guess what I would say is the first portion that I think is pretty, uh, pretty prerequisite um, in terms of trying to build bridges and in terms of trying to really bring community together is to find together, like to find something that you can agree on, find a place of commonality between each other and then grow from there. Um, mm. Because, you know, oftentimes I think we try to get bogged down by details um of you know whether we like somebody whether we don't like somebody maybe different aspects of their character different things that they may have done to us not done to for us etc cetera, etc cetera. and if we just kind of you know like harp on these little small details we tend to sometimes miss the bigger picture yeah 
Um, I want to ask you, you said um, cancel culture. I think it's the opposite. Everyone is um, saying their comments or opinions about anything. Um, so I think maybe you say something else, canceling culture. What do you mean with canceling culture? So, no, no. So what you're saying, I, I agree with. Yeah, people do kind of, have, especially, I mean, we're talking about mainly like, you know, online social media sort of presence, mm. right? Because um, that's really the sphere where everybody is getting to speak and leave their comments on basically anything that they want to. Mm. Um, but if you look at those, uh, you know, I think it's always funny when you're, when you're watching some of these videos or you're watching something online that's talking about something like this, where you see the comments and it's all, you know, all sorts of different opinions and all sorts of different, some messages are supporting the video. Some messages are against the video. Hmm. It's just, it's a complete free for all blog, right. In, in terms of the comments, what you find very often is a lot of the, a lot of the very negatively worded comments, a lot of the kind of attacks on a lot of people, they're usually coming from almost like troll accounts or coming from accounts that don't really have a real identity towards. You can't even tell who's running the account. They have it's a like, lot of free time. Yeah. Like yeah. username, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, like all these sort of different, you know, random users and stuff online is what I'm saying is it's very easy to be able to attack each other and say these things when you're behind the screen, mm. when nobody's able to figure out what, who you are, what you're saying, as opposed yeah. to when you're physically in front of somebody and you're actually having a conversation. You know, mm. I, I think most people that 90% of these hate comments would probably drop just by having the interaction in person. But what I meant about the cancel culture is that in terms of, if you speak to people on a daily basis, just about sort of like, you know, popular topics that are happening in the world or just some sort of subject, mm. what I have found personally is just dealing with young people in particular, if they have a viewpoint about a specific issue that that is not in line with you, they just choose to basically not listen to it or just scroll past it or go to the next video or watch something that is going to be more uh, in line with what I care about. They might leave all their hate messages under the video, but they won't care to even listen to the opinion. You, it, it's very difficult to even have the conversation with a lot of people now because people are just saying, hey, if you're not filling the prerequisite like alignment with my opinion, I don't even want to hear your opinion. I don't even want to hear your debate, your side of the argument in this debate, for example. Um, and so I think avenues for leaving, uh, avenues for communicating have opened up, but avenues for agreeing or finding common ground, I think, are very, very, um, they're at a threat of, you know, really dwindling and becoming less and less all the time now. Meaning, and I think just to summarize what I'm basically saying is I think the avenues and the avenues that we have of basically distancing ourselves from each other or having reasons to basically go against something with each other, I think are much more rampant than avenues of, of basically ways of forgiving somebody or coming back together with somebody or overlooking a viewpoint that may be different, for example. It's a deep topic. Um, I can, <laughs> yes. Um, I will ask you the third question. So what are the different identities needed to build an organization? Yeah, and so I think that aspect definitely determined, is determined partially by what kind of organization are you trying to build, 
you know, if I am trying to build a nonprofit religious um, sort of organization that's built around my local mosque or my local church or my local temple, I'm Mm -hmm. going to want different sorts of identities than if I am, you know, managing a nightclub, for example, and Mm -hmm. I want to, you know, recruit a team for that. And so I think what, what I'm saying is I think a big portion of that starts by primarily, first of all, seeing what the goal of the organization is. What is it that you're trying to accomplish? You know, what mm-hmm. what type of organization is this going to be? After you have that down, you know, let's say we've all agreed that we're trying to, um, I don't know, per, like prevent the climate issues that are happening. And I want to make an organization that's dedicated towards uh, making the world a little bit cleaner, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, I would want people that are, first of all, that have a mission that is in line with mine. You know, I wouldn't want somebody that has a mission that is completely opposite to what I'm trying to accomplish. You know, that's just common sense. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't want to have somebody whose mission is to make the world dirtier, for example. Yeah, if you're um, trying to clean it up. I'm just interrupting. Um, but there are different types of persons. Like, I'm very creative. I'm, I like, like to draw. So not every person is creative, for example. Uh, there's yes. another person who is more logical. There's another person who is more, I don't know, there are different aspects. So I think um, any organization needs these different types of identities. And um, I didn't read um, something similar about this, but when I was in an organization, whether it was Islamic or non-Islamic, they were searching for people who were filling these gaps in an organization, someone who is creative, someone who can talk, someone who um, can um, do good mathematics, I don't know, just calculating some things. Um, I think the, the, the basics of any organization is the same um, for any, whether it's Islamic or non-Islamic. So. No, in that in that aspect, I totally agree with you, and I and I think to make a successful organization, you definitely need, you know, all the different pieces, like you're saying, um, in order to really make an organization flourish. Like you do need someone mm. who's kind of more logical. You also need the people that are more creative. You also need the people that are actual physical on the ground doers that are basically just yes men in a way that they'll help you physically, you know, make things happen. You need all sorts of. I mean, I'm in total agreement that. Um, just having worked from a perspective of like, cause I was in my organization, I was the founder of my organization, right? I was basically the acting president of the organization. So my job was kind of to oversee the way that everything went and to kind of set the precedent of what the vision is going to be. What is the purpose of this organization, et cetera, et cetera. And then to assemble a team like that mm. to figure out who would kind of fit into those categories of people that are necessary to make an organization run. And I think that's the nice thing about an organization that you're working with other people on versus something you're just working yourself on is that you can have one person deal with the creativity aspect. You can have another person, like you said, deal with the finances. You can have another person deal with, um, you know, kind of the actual structure and layout of, of what the organization is going to be like, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, The whole point being that it is always and this is kind of tying back to what I said in the beginning about the holistic approach, that if you really want something to succeed or you want something to have 
a very positive value to something, you would like to ideally take it from a very holistic perspective. So even mm. an organization, if you really want to succeed, you need to have good team members that are hitting basically all those different aspects of yeah, what that's right. really makes it work. So um, my last question, I know I wrote three questions only, but my last question, just to end it up, um, can anyone be a leader? So, I mean, personally, just from what I have seen um, kind of working in this sphere, I actually would say no. And I know that sounds kind of discouraging to say to some people because most people would say, yes, I think everybody can be a leader, this and that. But some people I think are much better suited as being a follower. Um, some people I think are much better suited at kind of just, um, you know, helping to execute a certain function as opposed to creating the function, if, if that makes sense. So in a way where, and I see this even with my own self where, um, you know, I kind of did take the, I guess, quote unquote, leadership position in my own organization, but um, I couldn't lead in all aspects. Like, you know, I'm not very financially savvy in that sense. I, I couldn't lead in the sense of just being the leader of the finances, you know, in that sense. And so there's many different aspects that I was also kind of deficient in as a leader, but I've also just from working with certain people, there are times where I would rather, um, you know, kind of just follow a direction for somebody versus kind of being the person who's in charge of really charting out the vision for something because the leader, as much as, you know, a lot of people kind of want to be the leader in a lot of different, you know, organizations mm, or people right. kind of have this sort of like um, almost like, you know, like fantasy mm. in their own mind about what a leader really brings. There's a lot of, you know, excess difficulty and stress and hardship that you also have to deal with, you know, as a, as a leader, because everything falls on your shoulders. And if you are somebody who is not very good at handling stress, or you're not very good at handling things going wrong, because in every organization, I don't care which, how big you are, how small you are of an organization, if you're starting now, mm -hmm. or if you've been established for 500 years at this point, but at the end of the day, you're going to encounter issues that happen in real time, in real life during that organization's existence. And if, you know, for some of these organizations, a leader requires you to be able to think quick on your feet, to be able to come up with a solution when something goes wrong right on the spot. Um, and not everybody's like that. And I see that even in the medical field in particular, you know, when we work in emergency medicine, you have to be very on your feet versus when you're sitting in psychiatry and you're kind of sitting there getting to talk to people, mm. learn about their entire story. And what I mean is, is that I think the leadership role has a lot of different responsibilities that are not always exactly the most enjoyable thing and certainly not something that is that everybody or the general population is always just suited best for hmm. um because i mean if you think about it if we had if everyone could be a leader maybe on social media we would judge everybody by the number of leaders they have as opposed to followers yeah um ego is a big term on social media due to the followers but um yeah i think we're done thank you um thank you and um if you have any books or something to uh recommend to anyone to read about identities leadership leading organizations you can um text me and i will post it on social media and yeah i don't know if you want to say something else if not then we're done 
Yeah, I mean, um, I just, you know, thank you for having me. I'm sorry that I kind of did this so, like, last minute and in this sort of circumstance. But um, I don't have any specific books or, I guess, you know, like, pieces of articles or anything like that to really recommend off the top of my head for leadership particularly or identity particularly. Um, but, I mean, there are definitely some... Uh, like books out there that I think are very good for people just to kind of find, because I, I think all of this kind of really comes back down to the driving force behind everything. Like mm -hmm. me starting an organization, me becoming the position that I have, for example, it all starts by having a reason that you want to do this. And this is from the perspective of, like I said, you know, me as being kind of the leader of my own organization, I created this organization specifically for accomplishing a specific task. And my task was to really help restore the identity of Islam to Muslim youth in, a, in, mm. in the Western sphere and specifically, um, you know, young people, because I found growing up as a as a Western Muslim myself, it was very difficult to adhere to my Muslim identity growing up while still being a Western young person in the world that I was in. And so for me, like, I think having the, that as my purpose behind my behind mm. what created my organization and what created my events and whatnot that is really what i think i needed the whole time so i would before recommending you know people to, how to become leaders how to really like you know push forward your identity you recommend his I own think, events you're recommending no i wouldn't <laughs> i wouldn't recommend my own event i would recommend that everybody listening find what gives them passion Like right. you can't do any of this without passion. If you are not passionate about it, if you are not like if there's not some issue or something in the world that you want to work on, then your organization can just, you know, like maybe it'll rise, but it'll also come down just as hard as opposed to if it's something that really gives you purpose, really gives you motivation. I think you will you will the rest of the, that stuff kind of falls in line after. And mm -hmm. I think the hardest thing to do do is to find that motivation first and this is kind of what i'm i mean i i think i don't know if i really got to harp that on this at all but that's really the mission of what i've been trying to do is to kind of get everybody in your area to find what is it that gives them motivation what is it that gives them the purpose what is the thing that you want to solve And as for me, you know, I personally went through a lot of issues growing up with my own identity in terms of being a young Muslim and, and kind of the Western standards where not everything is always in line with what I was taught growing up. Right. And a lot of times they're actually contradicting from some of the things that I learned at home. And so for me, I think finding finding my own identity and basically being able to feel comfortable in my identity as a young Muslim living in the West is the only reason that I was ever able to start any of this. And so mm -hmm. I think, you know, I, 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 if I could help anybody else through that, I would love to, you know, like even if it's just one person listening, who's struggling with their own identity as a young Muslim or, or, or as a Westerner or wherever, whatever you're struggling with. Um, I just hope that that's, you know, something that could help benefit that person. Okay, I hope Germans do come to, to the US and we'll visit your event, inshallah. Inshallah, <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe we can have one in Germany soon, inshallah. Inshallah. Thank you so much. And yeah, I don't have something else to say. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum, thank you.